Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off the Beaten Track podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, I get to sit down with actor Joe McGann. Uh, This is a cracking chat. Um, You're in for a real treat. Joe's knowledge of music is amazing. Um, And just the story of, of, uh, of Joe's creative journey to date was an absolute delight to to, to hear and, and, and discuss with him. Um, I mean, you're, you're in for a treat where, where, you know, I mean, at, literally at the Marquis prime Joe worked there and yeah, we, we, we touch on all sorts of things. Some, some amazing stories about clubbing and such. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a real belt of this episode and you're going to love it. Uh, before we get on with it, um, just a quick thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, big thanks to 76, um, my producer. And also, if this is your first time listening to Off The Beaten Track podcast, then um, when you finish listening to this uh, episode with Joe, then why not have a look in the archives? Because you'll find over 180 episodes now with all sorts of musicians and actors and producers. You know, we've got guests as diverse as Maxine Peake and Amanda Abington through to James Lavelle and the Deftones, through to Chic, through to, oh gosh, Mel C. Um, yeah, we've, we, we've ticked all the boxes, all kinds of uh, amazing creatives. So um, go and have a rummage in the archives and I'm sure you'll find something that will um, tickle your fancy. Um, and if that's not enough, you can uh, also get access to over uh, another 150 or so uh, episodes and radio shows uh, on my Patreon. So you can also support the uh, the podcast over there. And uh, and you can find out about all of these things at www.offthebeatandtrack.com. Back to business. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Joe McGann. Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we're recording and sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom, Joe McGann. Hello. Hello, Stu. How are you doing, lad? Uh, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Um, appreciate you giving up your time today to come and talk records. Nice. Um, I've always found that... Uh, it's harder to get musicians to want to come on and talk about records than it is to get actors to come on and talk about records. It seems like, I guess, music's one of the things that actors don't generally get asked about in in the standard kind of actor interview type setup. So uh, it's always nice because, it, you know, it's the arts, right? And I think everybody likes to talk records. Absolutely. Well, I mean, so it's certainly the way we were brought up. I mean, I was brought up pre-internet, you know, so the, the, the sounds were everything and, and it was like really eclectic then. You didn't get, 
the kind of narrow genres you have now or the, the great many genres that you have now, kind of everybody listens to everything. And it's always been that way with me all my life. I, I suppose I'm slightly different from your average actor because I actually had a little bit of a, a career in the music business. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get stuck into that. Yeah, um, yeah. Years ago, this is, I'm going back to the seventies. You know, sort of. I kind of I wanted to be an actor when I first moved to London, but uh, ended up working at the Marquee Club. That was my first job. Okay. I kind of going seventy six, seventy seven. So I saw. So where was the Marquee then? Cause it moved a couple of times, didn't it? it was in Wardour Street. Yeah, it was still in Wardour Street then, and, and that was the days of like the Jam were just starting up and, and things like that. You know, sort of. I, I remember Paul Weller's dad dropping him off. Every night wow. and having one of the vans with the thing and stuff. So, you know, music was a big part. I kind of, it sounds it sounds terrible to say, but pretty much I fell into a record deal and a publishing deal, you know, mm-hmm. just by kind of dint of the people I knew around me. And also, I suppose, because of the fact that growing up here in Liverpool, everybody I knew played. Yeah. Everybody I knew played the guitar. You'd get the latest Bowie album or whatever, or, or whoever it was, and everyone would learn the songs, you know, sort of the... My had mates who were drummers, bassists, keyboard players. Yeah. We all kind of played, you know, sort of back in the old days, we made our own fun. It was that, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, everybody had, had a go. And so music was just an integral part, always, you know? Wonderful. Well, we'll pick back up on that as we, we work yeah. the way through your creative journey. But I always like to start, Joe, with the song, with the greatest ever intro. It's got to be Inner City Blues. I mean, it could be a load of songs, couldn't it? It could be really a load, but whenever I... Whenever I hear that ting ting, you know, just the way it starts, it's a fantastic album. That anyway, but that one particularly, it builds up and and, and you don't, you know, it's it, it it's it still sends the same thrill. It sounds fresh, like it was recorded yesterday. It really does. You know? I stuck it on this morning, Joe. I mean, I, I, what's going on? It's my favourite album of all time, without a shadow. Like I, okay. I adore that record, yeah. but I didn't necessarily ever really pay much attention to the intro to that record until you said it I thought well, let's go back and listen to that and it's so good and it's such a slow burner and the impact of just the bongos exactly you know exactly. before you even get his first little da 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 like it's oh wonderful it's, it's one of those it's one of those questions that you get asked and it could be only one of like kind of 20 songs you know kind of go round your head if, if you're a music fan but what kind of t- I mean just strangely enough a few days ago I was driving with Fran with my partner we were in uh, around Shropshire and it came on and I just remember reaching for the dial and I actually said, she said, oh, that's an easy question to answer when I show up with the questions. I said, this is the best intro ever. Yeah. So kind of, it was actually, it was, it was easy to put the question down, you know, because I'd made my mind up then. Yeah. I thought of others, I thought of things as diverse as like kind of once in a lifetime talking heads. That's a great oh. intro. Well, there's, there's, it's really weird yeah. how people approach the answers to, the, to, to that, this question, Joe, because, mm-hmm. Sometimes people just, when they think intro, they feel like it has to be this like huge call of arms straight away, grab you by the balls type type thing, mm-hmm. which I guess yeah. talking Ed's is. It's just, yes, there's right. no messing, it's strange. But then you get the people that will kind of go for Wish You Were Here and go for things like, you know, like Marvin yeah. Gaye, which are them kind of more sort of drawn out, you know, they, 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 they keep you waiting. Do you know what I mean? Right, exactly. What other honourable mentions did you want to throw in? Um, what did I think of? I mean, I... There's a few of Prince's. I mean, I think kind of the intro to Purple Rain is like a stunner, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, uh, and also, uh, what's it, Dig If You Will, a picture, you and I engage in a kiss. That's a great, you when know. Dubs it, cry. yeah. Yeah, I love doing Dubs Cry. It's a great intro. Yeah. I also thought of some of the reggae ones, you know, sort of some of the, like, kind of, the ones you don't expect. A couple of Bob Marley's, like, um, 
coming in from the cold. Oh, that really nice build-up with, with, with the drums, dun, 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 yeah. you know, things like that. So all of these things went through my mind, you know. Good, good. It's, uh, I, this is the one that people always kind of get, like, torn between. And, and obviously mm. I appreciate that, you know, it can change on any given day. Do you know what I mean? You just, like you say, you just sing on the radio and you're like, no, it's definitely that. It's got to be that. <laughs> Track two, Joe, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Yeah. I suppose it was Eleanor Rigby. Um, growing up here in Liverpool, uh, it's a strange thing. I don't own a Beatles record. I never have. You know, obviously respected them, but growing up here, I mean, especially, I'm, you know, I was born in 58, so like kind of I was six, seven, eight when, when they were worldwide. It was great in Liverpool to know, you know, that everyone in the world knew your, your home city, but I was more interested, frankly, in Bill Shankly than I was in, in, yeah. in Beatles, you know what I mean, as kids. And, and we looked elsewhere for, for, for the music. However, you know, you, you would hear things and you just think, I remember just thinking it was a really sad song. I mean, sort of, it was the kind of thing that it almost sounded like it belonged in a church. It almost you know, sounded like we were in choirs as kids, you know, the church choirs and stuff. And it sounded like a choral piece. You know, I remember thinking, and I remember being so sad at the idea, at the imagery in it, you know, yeah. and just thinking, wow. And, and, and realising somehow that songs didn't just have to be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and, and, and about a beat, that they contained a story. And I remember just being fascinated by it and, and listening and, and learning all the words again, you know, it was one of those things. In fact, I remember singing with two of my brothers. We were at, I think it was my auntie Pauline's or cousin Pauline's wedding. And we were all dressed in Beatles suits, you know, like kind of tiny, you know, just like kind of the, the, my favourite Scouse wedding. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, and singing, because there was an auntie who couldn't get there. She was in Australia. And I remember being crowded into a phone booth and singing a couple of Beatles songs down. I mean, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 was one of them. But Eleanor Rigby. Yeah. It was another the three of us, and we had like kind of rudimentary harmonies and things. But the story always stuck with me, and it, it's it's I think it's my favorite Beatles song. I, I think it's um, one of them records, isn't it? That we we studied that in music at school. Like I think that was the first thing. That's, my only memory of music at school is that that record and having to kind of depict it. And I think it's because it is, it, you know, it, you can. If you shut your eyes, you can see it, can't you? It's it's yeah, so well storyboarded that you can, you know, it's yeah, and it is. It's, it's such a sad record. What what was the emotion that you think you you got from hearing that, Joe? I, it's I, the word lonely. I, it, it expressed loneliness really, really well. And I remember, you know, not that I was a particularly lonely child. You couldn't be in our house. You know what I mean? It's, it's but I remember thinking, core. It really, you know. I, I remember thinking about the imagery and picks up the rice and all of these things and, and the fact that it was a graveyard. I remember talking to my mum about it, saying, well, you know, it, it's really sad. And I remember her saying to me at the time, you know, well, songs don't always have to be happy. Songs can be about, like, sad things and, and about yeah. the blues. And I was, like, mind blown as a kid, yeah. you know. Like, wow. You know, this is a whole art form here kind yeah. of thing. You don't know that, but you just think it means something else. It's like... It's the first time, you, or the first time for me that you get. I, I remember getting the idea that there were layers of meaning, rather than just one direct beat. Yeah. And I, I think I must have almost worn the record out in our house. Do you know what I mean? Sort of just like playing it and playing it and playing it. What other sorts of records were were on at home growing up? Was there was there music on in the house a lot? Um, yeah, they're, all, they're, they're pretty much always music. If not the radio, mum was always singing all the time. Mum and dad's generation. We, as kids, we. Uh, 
it's that Irish background. We know songs from like the 19, like the teens and the 20s and the 30s and the 40s because of family sure. kind of singing, you know, so songs are big, you know, yeah. it, it, it's more about songs than anything else. Um, but growing up, yeah, my dad loved a bit of Glenn Miller. So there was that going on. My mum loved a bit of Glenn Campbell. So there those those great Jimmy Webb songs going oh. on. Yeah, I still love them. I mean, so does mum. We had a little bit of a sing last week. I've got my mum living here with me. Uh, we, we had a bit of a sing a couple of Saturday nights ago and they were all in there, you know. Um, the, the radio, always. I mean, that thing about, like, the, I remember getting the first kind of tablet cassette recorders and, like, trying to get it, you trying to get top of <laughs> yeah. off the radio. But we had a record player at home and, and by dint of the fact that Dad did shift work, he was at home one, one week, we only, all, all, all of his life at home one week early, he's home one week late. So when we had the evenings and we had understanding neighbours as well, we must have done because there was always music on. And if, yeah. if it wasn't on the record player or the radio blasting, then I remember times where there was drum kits, saxophones, bass playing going on, rehearsing in our little terraced house, yeah. you know. And so there was, it was always music. And, and, you know, having like the five of us all different years at school, there were all different things, so we would all bring albums home, but everyone would get to know the different things, you know. We would all kind of swap. And they were great times for music, you know, going out and buying anything, you know. I, I remember those, you know, the the, the, the the player that had all the different records on, you know, you, you'd stack it up on a needle in the middle of the record. Yeah. That was kind of a metaphor, for, like, in a way, for how music was, because, like I said, it could be anything. You could have chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap, and fat family burlesque, Lady Marmalade, yeah. La Belle. You know, so any of the Stevie Wonders, and they would all be on 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 a, on a big stack yeah. waiting to come down. So everybody listened to this eclectic mix, and it and it stayed with me really. You know, for, for those that are, are maybe a bit younger than Joe and myself, and and don't really understand what we're talking about here, it's <laughs> it's something that it, with this sort of over the recent years, the resurgence of vinyl that hasn't made a resurgence, which I think is really 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 sad because it was just you you'd stick this kind of tall sort of like metal pole on the, the middle of the, the turntable and you could stack up your vinyl and then right. once it had played the next one would drop down on top of it and, and play and it was like your own little jukebox really wasn't it it was absolutely you know it was it was the, it was the, it was the best thing and you'd yeah. get a big stack and some sometimes two or three would drop at once yeah. or but you know it it, it it was just great and everybody got used to hearing this Kind of, I suppose all music was playlisted in a way, you know, because the same stuff on the radio, you would put things in, in a similar yeah. kind of way on this on this spindle in the middle of the thing. So it was constant different music, and it could be anything, you know, especially growing up in like the 60s and 70s, it, it could be anything from, you know, West Coast American mamas and papas to like, you know, Tokoloshe Man, I remember John Congos and those kind of beats. And I loved, I kind of, you know, besides the Motown Chartbusters, I loved bands like Slade. They were great when they kind of launched that. And I remember thinking, oh, this is brilliant. But then all, again, luckily enough, it, it, was the, it was the start of like kind of the reggae and blue beat coming in. And we lived just down the road from the ice rink, like a couple of hundred yards from the ice rink. Low ceiling, big long thing with massive big speakers. And of course they used to play like big bass reflex bins and they used to play all the reggae, like kind of Skinhead Moonstomp and, you know, Desmond Decker, Israelites, all of these things, Dandy Livingston, you know, Big Six, all of these things were coming out at the time. And it was just the grooviest time, you know. And the fact that it it was almost like the fact that somebody had an artifact, an artifact, a, a piece of vinyl record, once they'd made that, it was worth listening to, whether it was sweet, whether it was the mixtures, it was, you know, you wouldn't necessarily like it, but it would go in this stack. Yeah. 
you know, people were less dismissive of it somehow, perhaps because it was a, a whole, like almost like a fetish thing. You yeah. Know, sort of, you know, yeah. You know? I, I, I think that that is the resurgence of vinyl. We, you know, I, I do put a lot of that down to the fact that where everything has gone on to Spotify's and, you know, iTunes and all of this, which, you know, I use as well, but I do think sometimes it's nice to have something tangible, you know, yeah. to, oh, when you're playing it, it was always nice to read the sleeve. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kid, kids these days, they don't oh, listen to me. I, I was trying to use that uh, But, you know, I mean, it's like those old, the old record sleeves yeah. and stuff. We poured over them, you know, so that yeah. it, 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 was, it was real. It was like, um, like postcards from the edge, wasn't it? You yeah. know, you get these things and like that was it. Nobody else knew. And I remember kind of doing a, a sketch at school about, you know, the sixth formers, like certain pretentious. It's like they had suckers up the inside of their arm. Because whatever was the hippest album it going around, they would carry in between every lesson, you know, and it'd be there like that, you know, yeah. whatever, be, like some kind of prog rock thing or whatever, or, or you'd get the cooler ones with like the Marvin Gaye records, and, yeah, or the reggae records, and it was you could tell which which mob was which, you know. Brilliant. <laughs> Track three: the song that reminds you of your time at school. It's for, for a similar reason that you said before. I I was at school not far from where I am now. Actually, it's, it's a strange kind of journey. I'm just up the road, about, about less than half a mile from where I am. I went to school. It was a Jesuit school. Uh, and they're not great people, and it wasn't. I, I didn't love school very much. But we had one music teacher a guy called. He was he was lay. He wasn't one of the brothers. He was a guy called Peter Crossy, and he kind of ran the choir, which was all, all well and good. And I was in another choir, so I was kind of you know I was favouring him. But he used to let us, like, when, when nobody else, he used to let us bring records in and, the, and we would do a critique of, of the thing. And uh, I remember taking Virginia Plain in but by, by Roxy because I'd never heard anything like it at the time or seen anything like them. I mean, we'd, we'd had Shades of Mark Boland and Bowie and the kind of, you know, the, the, the cross-dressing almost thing and, and all of that going on. And we as kids were just, yeah, okay, you know, fine. And so, you know, all of this. But Roxy had something else that you know Virginia playing again it's a good intro um as was pajama rama you know mm -hmm. what I, mean? so I remember putting it on in this <laughs> in this school hall and cranking it up and peter crossy and me we were talking about it, like some of the kids are kind of doing this and one of the brothers came in and just didn't say anything walked straight over and it was our music lesson took the thing off the thing just looked at us all and walked out again like in, in total silence and you think that's why I like the music. Exactly. I bet Brian Ferry would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't enjoy school? Not at all. Uh, well, I did primary school, yeah. Um, I, you know, sort of it was great. You know, inner city primary school was good. You know, sort of kind of the first idea. I loved reading. I was a, an eclectic reader. We lived opposite in a, a library. And, you know, mum and, and dad wanted us to do well. And we were good kids to... The Jesuits and the way that they tried to educate kids. I tried to get out. I tried to get a transfer from school, this particular school, after the very first term. Uh, but for one reason or another, you know, it's an honour, whatever, you know, sort of to, to be there and you should be grateful. Um, I was not happy there. I mean, it was. I just kept my head down and did it. I was never a bad lad. You know, I mean, I wasn't one of those. Um, I, I didn't go out of my way to cause trouble. But because I was very tall and because I was kind of in the football teams and what have you, I kind of. I felt that I, whether it's true or not, I mean, I felt that I kind of got picked out a little bit, you know, and made an example of. So it was it was miserable, but I just kind of got gone on with it. You know, you didn't, once I realised I wasn't going to get out of there until eventually they threw me out. Um, 
I just kind of got my head down and kept at it, you know. And it, it, it wasn't great, and and, it, and I, I felt it. It was a shame because, like I, I was a kid who wanted to learn, you know. And I've done it since. I mean, I'm I'm still a voracious reader. I'm still like kind of it's, but I've kind of, it kind of made me determinedly autodidact. I didn't want anything to kind of do with like kind of the, the education system from what I'd seen. Yeah, at the time. And it was years before I thought about, well, maybe I should go back to university. And I didn't in the end. I picked up some studies with the Open University and things like that. But uh, in the end, no, I, 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 I left um, after my levels and just went, thank you. That was it. You know. Did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you were at school? I, well, yeah, early on. I mean, the very, the very first time I ever saw, I ever went to the theatre, I wanted to be an actor. Um, it was kind of... I was, it was, I was told that it was impossible. I was told the, all of these kind of normal things, but I just kind of kept plugging away and it got, got a new theatre. <laughs> I was telling my friend, the, other, the only other thing, I, I was so kind of pissed off with everything, I, you know, sort of about, about 16, 17. That's why I, I ended up, like I said, going to, look, to London very early. The only, <laughs> I could have abdicated my, my I, I decided at the time, I could have abdicated my whole life. I didn't think that I was going to matter much. That's what I was told, all, all, all of this. So, I'd read in certain books about gentlemen's gentlemen, about butlers. So the only other thing I ever applied to do, in all seriousness, was to become a butler. I wrote to two schools, both of which are in the States, strangely enough, uh, and I got into one. And that was like kind of my, my plan B. I was going to kind of abdicate my life in favour of somebody else's and be the best kind of sideman, wingman, lieutenant, you know, that ever yeah. you could. And that, that, that was the only plan. So in answer to short, a long answer to a short question, I, I wanted to be an actor, but I, I thought it wasn't for the likes of me. Uh, I'd fallen into the music business a little bit, you know, in 17, 18, but then I started auditioning for actor musician roles. I started getting in, getting in that way and then start, started getting acting. So I... I was chatting to a, a young lad the other day who was a bit troubled, uh, a bit slightly, slightly older than me, 2021. And I said, I remember thinking that I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I, the, the impetus, impetus was like a negative impetus. I was getting away from where I didn't want to be. I knew what I didn't want to be, but I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to be. You know, I mean, I was just, okay, we'll see. I'm, I'm, hopefully something will come, you know, crystallize itself out of the mist. Um, and I pretty much went the same way until I was in my 50s now. But, but, you know, once I found a direction, I was able to stay with it. But I, I, I generally, I, I spent, I mean, it's quite a common story. I spent, like, kind of the first 15 years, 20 years of doing what I do, expecting that somebody would come in one day and say, right, that's enough, McGann. You've had your, you've had your turn. Right, off you pop. Another one. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, cheers. It's been a good run. I'm going and done something else. You, you, uh, that, that, that imposter syndrome lasted that long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really does. I mean, so not 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 prevalent, not there all the time, but you know, you, a different job. You, you you for whatever reason, you know, the stress would be on you. Think oh, this is the one. This is the one where they won't ask me back. Yeah, uh, yeah, it did. It lasted a long time, um, <laughs> and and a fair bit of therapy here and there. You know, I mean, sort yeah. of being being honest about it, just trying to work those things out. Not that it was a, a kind of limp, but you think you wonder why your brain's going back in the same patterns all the time, and and. Uh, and, and that was it. I mean, it's you know, I'm, I'm free of that kind of stuff now. But it bothered me for a while. So was 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 you confident in 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 some areas then? Because yeah. you, you, you know, both the music industry. I mean, I guess I would say the music industry is a, a very difficult thing to crack. But you, obviously, you said you, you sort of stumbled into that and and and, and lucked out. But... I could play. I could play, and my yeah. mates could play, and so I knew that I I knew that I I was of, of a standard. I knew that I could play with decent players, and I knew that I, you know I knew that I could learn stuff, and I knew that I could do that. So what was you playing, Joe? I was a guitarist. I yeah. still I must play. Yeah. Um, I, I still enjoy it. You know, I don't kind of play much in anger these days, as it were. You know, but I, I, still, <laughs> I still really enjoy it. Um, I it's yeah, it's difficult. I mean, I. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's a, it's a funny one. Isn't it? I don't know. We'll come back to that, I guess. You know what I mean? Okay. It's, 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 okay. you know. What about drive? I always, again, I knew what I, I didn't want to be. And once given a job, I've always been able to apply myself. I've always been able to kind of have that thing. It's, it's about, it's like, like being the voracious reader. I can lock the whole world out if I'm interested in something. Yeah. I've got that same kind of focus inside my job. Inside my, it, 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 it's it's the ability to do to do it. Confidence is more a chimeric thing. I mean, I, people have said to me about about acting, about you know, oh, I don't know how you get up on stage. You know, I, they, they they consider it brave. I've always wondered about that because if you've been in rehearsals and you've learned the th- then you've learned it and you know what to do. You know, yeah. any taking chances like that. I confident, not necessarily brave, not necessarily, but I was reckless. Yeah. I had a kind of reckless thing thinking because of, because of this idea, well, well, you know, they might not ask me back. And so I go, I push the fuck it button and go, right, yeah. have this. Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. And and it would be reckless. It wouldn't necessarily, and adrenaline is nobody's friend. And sometimes it'd yeah. be all over the place, you know, sort of, but other times it kind of pushed me on. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, in spite of myself sometimes too, you know. So again, long answer to a short question, but I think that's the truth of it. You know? Okay. What was the first song you remember buying from a record shop? 
I wish it was. I wish it was hipper. This um, is the one that's not allowed to be hip. This is the one where everybody says something that's a haller of a record. Yeah, it's 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 Vincent by Don McLean. That's not Again, too bad. I suppose it's not too bad. It could have been <laughs> cheap, cheap, couldn't it? But, um, <laughs> but you know, which we had in our house. Uh, but but. I, I I just love this song again. It was something to do with the fact that it was a song about a painter and paintings. And I could have told you, Vincent, this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you. I remember that being quite an effective line, you know, start, you know, all of these different things that you learn within the song. And I was absolutely fascinated. And I remember, I remember going down with, with, I think it was 45p. In fact, it might have even been old money. It might have been nine and six. Um, going down to Freeman's store and, and, and getting it and bringing it home. And not, I, rem- I also remember back to this, you know, the little cassette, tablet cassette records, the first one of those. I remember I loved this song so much and I, know, I knew that my mum loved it. And I remember recording a version of me singing it for her, like kind of just on, on this thing, a cappella. Yeah. And, and giving it to her. And so it, it, it was that affecting. And also, you know, not long or either before or after he'd done American Pie and, and it, it was great to know that one musician, one musician can do, you know, that kind of stompy kind of thing. And this beautiful, beautiful ballad, mm. you know, and without, without, I suppose, without this, like kind of the nascent appreciation of those kind of things, I, I wouldn't have got into people like Jimmy Webb. I wouldn't have got into people, you know, like lyricists, some of the great country lyricists, you know, mm. Because I've got, got a whole sideline. I like the George Jones and I like the really kind of sad country songs, yeah. you know, the, the heartbreaking, like Good Year for the Roses and things like that. Mm. I love those. I think I think there's a place for it. It doesn't all have to be about, you know, hearts and flowers or, you know, be good to me. Uh, and I still love a, a ballad like Vincent's. And, and again, it, it, it sounds like it was freshly minted. It, it hasn't dated at all. I, I put it on again uh, last night. And, and and I'll tell you what, it, it, as as intros go, I think I probably heard that when God knows how young I was on on Radio Two Ramones, and and that in just that opening lyric, I think I heard that once, and I think any time I've heard that since, it takes me straight back there. Just that starry starry night, like it just transports me straight back to sitting Absolutely. in a kitchen. Forty five, yeah. yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is. It's funny how those things, those things can be so kind of like transporting, isn't it? You know, sort of like I think music comes second only to the sense of smell because smell can kind of yeah it smells like time travel yeah you know what I mean all of a sudden the smell can and, and and you're back there but music does does a similar thing and and the really really good records you know like the Marvin Gaye records and stuff like that take you to the same place every time I. I like to say I get the same thing from watching Liverpool Football Club. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, it still gives me the same kind of chemical makeup joy that I got as a lad, and it's the same with these kind of songs. You think, oh, you know, it kind of it, it, it captures those moments for yeah. you, and it, you know, in this great big chemical soup that we all are, yeah. it's got to be something in that. You know, there's got to be something that, that something that we need. You know, somehow. I don't know. The primates don't need it. Our cousins definitely. don't. You know, they don't need it, but we do. Definitely, and and I think that's kind of why I sort of frown, you know, at, at the term guilty pleasure because there's records that I listened to growing up that are not deemed cool records. Mm. But if I hear it, it will take me somewhere. It'll take me to school. <laughs> it'll take me to sitting in one of my mates' bedrooms when I was, a, you know, a lad and like and yeah. and that's that's healthy, right? That's good to be able to kind of you know, indulge in that nostalgia. and I, th- I think it's healthy, but I, I don't know whether it's 
whether because it's sales or whether it's because of, you know, kind of the way genres are now, the way that the algorithm does it. But there are very few people who have the same kind of Catholic or eclectic tastes anymore, are, are there? Perhaps young kids do, you know, but unless you have something like Baby Shark, which should be shot, you know I mean? But, you know, you know, but, but, you know that, that kind of thing, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's no... Like Radio One was listened to by everybody, and, you know, and doing the good old days again. But there was there was something about a, a variation of things and appreciation of things because otherwise, you know, my daughter, although later on her generation, you know, sort of started listening to all the records we used to listen to back there. You know, they're all listening to Fleetwood Mac and, yeah. and all of that. Now, you know, my daughter, she's thirty-one. Um, but for a while, it was only very narrow kind of genres you didn't listen to anything outside of that and i think that's really such a shame that's that's something that's it's come up a lot on this podcast joe as we've, we've we spoke about sort of growing up and things and and how tribalism in music yeah, yeah. and and fashion and cause it all goes hand in hand doesn't it like it does. you know yeah, yeah. the kind of youth cultures whether it be skins mods punks indie kids goths you know it, it, it all had a very strong identity and yeah. you know you you know, even if it was just carrying your record, as you said, under your sleeve, so everybody could see what you was into. You know, you yeah. would wear your colours, and and that is something that even you know, maybe I'm I'm not meant to see it as a 47 year old guy. I don't know, but I don't see that tribalism. You know, I've got teenage daughters, and and they they just like a bit of everything, and sure. and, and I think there's benefits to that, and I also think there's something lost not having them kind of. Tribal, you know that, that tribalism I guess, in music. I, I, I guess so, you know, and I suppose the, the plethora of choice now must have kind of diluted it all a little bit, you know, because there's so much more and so much, so many more places to get it, so many more platforms to get it. It doesn't feel quite as important or quite as unique. Yeah, you know, you know, like if anything, slightly disposable because it's there oh, on yeah. tap. Um, yeah. Okay, let's take you back to the uh, the, the golden era of uh, of Clubland. Uh, Track five, Joe, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Well, I, when I thought about years clubbing, I, I was thinking to myself, okay, which version of clubbing do you want? You know what I mean? Because like, kind of, there was various times in my life. I mean, you know, growing up here in Liverpool, it was mostly, like I say, these kind of solely kind of clubs. You know, that that was the, that was the thing, or chart clubs really would have been those things. But I thought, you know, from those days, you had pick up the pieces, the average white band, you had like kind of. Lady Marmalade, La Belle, you know, that kind of thing would, would have been a thing. But over the years, whenever I kind of went back, when I first moved to London, it was like I was in, involved in, like, Monkbreeze. This is before the embassy opened, and then the embassy, and they, they were our places, and they were kind of When was cool. this, Joe? 76, 77, 78, 78 when, I, when I moved to London, you know. 77, 78, and it was still disco, and it was still that going on, but there was lovely soul funk coming through. But there was always James Brown, you know, there was, and, and his beats. And so I think one tune that kind of marries all those eras together and stuff like that is, is Cross the Tracks by Maceo Park. I mean, written and produced by, by um, uh, James Brown. But it's just one of those tunes, you know, you hear, and, and again, it's, it's sticking on at a wedding, it fills the floor still, you know. It, 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 it just, it's that, you know, lovely driving drum beat. I kind of, I got in, I, in the, in the early 90s, when, when I was doing that sitcom on the telly, it was kind of difficult to go clubbing. So I ended up you know, in, in the more public places. So I ended up in the more underground clubs, like the Milk Bar and those kind of places. And I loved the kind of house that, that was coming in then, different stuff. And, and there was also another period 
uh, Sunday nights at the Africa Centre with Soul to Soul. Oh, back in you got you got to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were great. I'd made some made some man who worked with them and knew them from Bristol. People like like Nelly Hooper and stuff yeah. like that. You know, um, our Pauls lived in Bristol for all those times, and so we got to know them through that. And so yeah, I used to go down there, and they were great. And like you know, the young disciples, all of that time. Oh, that was a really, wow. was a really good time, you know. But again, you know, at their parties, they would have put on something like Marcel Parker. They would these these the tunes that would have been played back. I also thought about Gwen Guthrie. I also thought about those kind of things going on. Um, I still, I mean, I'm 62 now. I, I still think that, if you know, the right kind of soul, jazz, funk place out in town somewhere here, like kind of a nice little bit of a vibe, not too loud for us, us sensitive hearing and stuff like that, but somewhere where you can have, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere you can have a dance and something to do. I think you'd still smash it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not, we're not... Um, I'm coming across a lot of things whereby culturally I'm not supposed to be thinking like that in my 60s, you know what I mean? But things have changed. I mean, if you think about what 60, it being in your 60s was, even 20 years ago, it was Terry and June, wasn't it? It was yeah. like kind of, you know, it was all of that, you know, but the evidence is all to the contrary now. You know, so the, yeah, yeah, we're boomers. I take all of that goes with that. But also we're still, there's, there's been, a, I was just reading the other day, there's a, a chain of pubs up here in the north which have been saved, you know, pubs are in danger. This, this chain of pubs have been saved by appealing to what they call the scene-ages, like the scene-ages. So they have a music night every night, and it's culty like they'll have a, a two-tone night, they'll have a punk night, and their audiences are all over 55, and they're all going in, and the pubs are packed. And every night, a different one. And then on, on, a, on a Saturday night, I believe they have a kind of mixed bag. It's like, so like kind of everything from India and stuff like this. And everyone's over 55. Yeah. So it's interesting how that, that the imprint of us listening to music in the way we did and, yeah. and, and how it was special to us. Where, where, you know, we poured over everything. We poured over the charts. We knew, because we'd read all the sleeves, we knew where the bands went to school. You know, do you understand what I mean? We knew all of that. Kind of, and all of that knowledge has got to go somewhere. And, it's, yeah. and it, you've made it important. And I think at this time, like, I still do it Sunday morning. I, I still kind of go around on Spotify and, and listen to new music and listen to my release radar, see what's going on and stuff. I get over into my collection. That's never going to stop, you know? And so I'm, I'm still looking. There were a couple of places in London. I mean, the Jazz Cafe is good like that. The 606 on Lotts Road, you know, going down there on Sunday, uh, seeing Hamish Stewart, you know, who's become a friend from the Average White Band. He's got a lovely band. And they play everything from like a bit of jazz funk to soul to great, great ballads, Marvin Gaye and stuff like that. Sunday afternoon, public, you know what I mean? It's that, that's, that's my, my idea of a day out still, you know. It's weird you say about the kind of, you know, if there was a club that played that. Um, where, where I live, um, I, I live about 10 minutes from Canvey Island and there was a, right. a club there called Goldmine, uh, right. which was like the kind of epicentre of the Essex kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it was the, like Chris Hill, was the kind of the, the golden boy of the jazz funk scene, and yeah. and uh, and they about a year ago take over this big hotel uh, in 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 Thurrock and uh, where I live, and they do they get the original goldmine DJs and do the big jazz funk soul nights again, and oh. they're heaving. I bet you they would be because it's still it's still fantastic. In fact, there's a young band from Essex. I've took about two or three albums in now, you know what I mean? So we've got that stuff going on. They're called The Milk. Have you, have you, have you heard them? I used to manage them. They're, they're really, really good mates of mine. 
Um, oh no, yeah, because I, 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 I just one of these things trolling through music and stuff yeah. like that. You know, so I just I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that connection. Yeah. I really love that that second album. It's beautiful. Oh, that's that second album. There's a track on there called Favorite Worry. Oh, it's you know beautiful. I, I did. You're my favorite one. Yeah. It's just beautiful, beautiful album. No, it's not, it's not weird. That I, I is. Know, but you know, that, that, that Essex thing, I mean, I, I, I'm going back again to the 70s. There were still bands coming in from, from Essex then, you know, from, from out of that way. That was Southend, Canby Island, all around there. That was more akin to Liverpool. You had the whole pub rock scene, didn't you? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all pop rocks and feel like, goods. All, all, all of the stuff going on here, you know, sort of like guys who still made some money. You had like Pete Wiley, you had the McCulloch's, you had all of the Bunny Man, you had all of those kind of things going on. But like I said, I was away and it was, I, I was more into that soul jazz, funk, yeah. all of that, you know. There was, like, there was a great club on German Street called Monkberries, M-A-U-N-K-B-E-R-R-Y-S. And everyone from that area goes, ah, oh, Monkberries. It was one of those fabulous, fabulous clubs. It was, you know, no jeans, like, like or actually, yeah, jeans, but no, no trainers, but everyone, a little bit sharp, but it was a really eclectic crowd. Yeah. Really eclectic crowd, and everyone danced. I Absolutely everyone danced. You'd have a little break, and everyone kind of got up, and, the, and, and it was just, I'm getting all misty-eyed now. Do you know what I mean? But they, 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 they were the days, you know. They, they really were the days. Well, you mentioned when you got to London, it was sort of 77, 78, and the sort of tail end of disco as, as the, the, the jazz funk scene was, mm. was creeping in, and I guess that was the point when... You know, was this around Lacey Lady and things like that was happening? And and did punk make a dent on you? Yes, it did. I mean, very, very much so. You know, like I say, I was lucky enough to be working at the Marquee Club and, and seeing bands like the, the, the New Nation punk bands. And I actually went to the ICA gig with, with the, uh, the, the the Clash um, and you know, where the and the Sex Pistols, where the guy got his, his ear bitten off. We 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 were invited as as, as barmen. I remember going down from Wardour Street. Down, down to the mall and across the ICA and seeing these things. And, and the police were called punk then. Elvis Costello was called punk because the other thing about 77, 78 then, that was when what Bob Marley called the punky reggae party was going on. Because everyone mixed, I mean, because everyone smoked weed probably at the time. But, you know, I lived in Maida Vale and in Notting Hill, which is just around the corner, around there. You know, I mean, Bob Marley was living there for a while. He, he lived a couple of doors away from my cousin who was a musician. And you'd see all of this stuff on, on, you know, really eclectic stuff. I mean, I remember there was a, a fantastic London, uh, like, reggae reggae soul band called Talkover. They had a, a Greek rasta rapping, you know, and, and the, but the whole of the band were, like, kind of multi-ethnic and, and, and stuff. And I remember thinking, wow, this is what it's, it's all about. Yeah. So while you had, like... Steve Miller Band and, and Dave Edmonds Rock Pile and, and all of those pub rock bands and Elvis Costello and, and The Police and all that going on. You had this kind of punky reggae crossover, which was sensational. Like, look at The Clash, you know, yeah, where exactly. they, you know, you had that crossover. And that seemed to be the sensibility. And, and for a little time there, <clears throat> before Rock Against Racism started, there was a belief that it was all okay and it was all going to work. I, I still believe that. I think at the time I probably believed that there was going to be some kind of revolution for the working class and it was all going to be made and I, I probably fervently believed it then um but everything seemed possible and everything seemed possible around music and and, and it was glorious you know you, you, like the jimmy percy like bands you know playing with uh you know i mean i, I remember going to what year was that but that might have been slightly later 1980 i remember seeing bob marley 
the average white band, all on one bill, Paul Young. Was that when Paul Young was in Q-tips? Q-tips, yeah. yeah. It was, it was that, you know, all, all on one bill, you know, and you, and, you, and you think, yeah, that'll do me, you know. And then and the, the average white band again at the Rainbow being supported by Golden Earring. Yeah, that's crackers, it, isn't it? Yeah, and, and then another time they were supported by Leonard Skinner. And so these these crossovers, you know what I mean? Sort of like kind of, it, it seems fine to me, you know, that yeah. people are putting the bill on. I mean, I can't imagine now that, you, you know, you, they, they get anything but laughed off. But that's how it was. It, it, around music and around the arts too, you know, there was a kind of, there was a, there was a whole a, a gap where, you know, the Willie Russells got through, the Alan Bleasdales got through, this kind of thing was going on, the Phil Daniels, all of that, the Crawford There's a little gap there where it was okay to be us and it was cool to be us and and, and, and the genuine chance at uh, mobility. You know, I think the gap's closed now to a greater, to a greater extent. But there was that little time there where everything seemed possible yeah. and the music reflected it. I really do think, you know, it was a little bit angry, but, you know, proud, you know, London calling, that's another great intro. Um, that that one came up as well, you know, because yeah. that that really you, you know what it is. That's a call of arms. That one. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it really is. But ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Everything, you know, so the, the other stuff that was the people were listening to, like I said, the Steve Miller band, you know, that the Fly Like an Eagle album was everywhere. Uh... Other things like, you know, dare I say, like Rod Stewart and the Faces, and, and they were making some great music. So there were, there were Steve Winwood, you know what I mean? Sort of all of these people were around, and it was it was a glorious time. Two two or three great summers, one after each other. Yeah. And London was a great place to be, yeah. you know? It really was. Well, I'm going to take you back to Liverpool then. Uh, yeah. Favourite song from an artist from your home county? This song means a lot to me. It's Rise and Fall. Um, it's I, I, there's a young man who hang on a minute is this is this this track or is this the next track is this uh, oh which 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 track um, is this Rise and Fall this, I, is, this is Home County yeah oh uh, I can't remember what I said to this one uh, let's have a look. hang on a minute I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you now oh yeah of course it is it's uh <laughs> Then it's it's a very very special song uh, to me. Again, another great intro. Uh, I love an intro. Um, it's you to me are everything, the real thing. Um, again, growing up in when I moved to London, the areas I went around, like kind of 
like I say, Notting Hill, Islington, kind of Dalston. They were places that I recognised. They were like the, where there was a West Indian, West African, white, Irish crossover. You know, so it's familiar to me from up here. So when I moved down, I, I, I gravitated towards it. But being up here, when, when I was first started playing and singing in bands like 14, 15, 16, you know, just local stuff. And it might be one week, it might be, you know, we did country covers, the next week it might be Black Sabbath covers, you know, the next, yeah. whatever, all of that. But I met, uh, you know, Ray Lake, who was the bass player from The Real Thing, and, and, and another guy called Derry Senior, who Derry, it was an old music business figure from the Mersey Beach era who kind of ran and did a band called The Chance. And right, right, right by where I went to school, um, like, you know, two, three hundred yards away was Granby Street, which is Liverpool 8, which is where the, the real thing wrote that fantastic album. I mean, everybody knows about the singles. They, they, you know, they had hits in America for a black, for a black British band they, that had never been done. They had hits over there, you know, more than one. And this, the album, um, which, this, which this is from, four from eight, was... Again, it was one of those things. I mean, we'd had the Beatles, but I remember thinking, wow, I know these people, right? I actually can speak to Ray and Chris and Eddie, and I know them. And not only are they brilliant, but all around the world, like they're being heard to. And not, not only that, on, on this, 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 you to me, everything isn't one of their songs. It was written for them. But on the rest of the album, there's a, there's a trilogy at the end, the Liverpool A trilogy. And the middle track on the trilogy, Children from the Ghetto, is still like one of the best things you'll ever hear. It's been sampled all over the place. I think Jay-Z and everyone sampled it and, and playing it. And again, it's just these lads from Liverpool 8 who had this fantastic group, great voices. Um, there had been a, a, a tradition of, like, vocal groups, you know, the same as, like, Bob Marley started, that, that kind of, you know, for us. We had the chants here, this band called The Chants, and I think Eddie was in The Chants originally. But then it all got a little bit more funky, the little kind of the disco sound going. And these and these lads just had it in spades. Absolutely had it in spades. And when my daughter, my, this is a special song for my daughter, when she was just a little tiny baby, that's what I used to sing it to her, just to kind of get her to sleep. And it's still, you know, it's still the one that we use. Um, and I never tire of it. I never tire of it. It's 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 one of those. It's also one of those tricky songs to sing. You know, a few beers in, and you think, get the karaoke out and try. It. <laughs> it modulates to a key change. It makes everything all a little bit like that. You know. uh, it's, it can be an embarrassment. You know. Have you watched the the recent documentary? I did. Strange enough, my Fran and I went down to to, to fact here in Liverpool. I, I had a few mates in it as well. You know, sort of in the documentary. A very good friend of mine, uh, an actor called Paul Barber. You know, he was in the Long Good Friday. He's Denzel in, mm. in you know, Only Fools. Uh, he, he's, he's in it a bit because, again, I knew him from back then because he's cousins with Ray Lake, as is Lewis Emmerich, lovely black actor, used to be in Brookside, used to be. They're, they're all kind of cousins. And still really, really proud of what those lads, I mean, it, it, you know, in, in terms of their identity and, and as scouts, as, as, as black men, and as, as, as artists and stuff like that. The real thing did them all a real favour, yeah. you know, by kind of by, by doing that, and 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 not, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't just about you know sort of the, the black Liverpool experience. It was the Liverpool experience too. Do you know what I mean? They spoke for everybody, uh, you know, obviously more particularly for for, for, for for black people, but it 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 was universal, and and it's still it's still a great song. It's, the documentary was interesting, though. You know, Brilliant. those guys, yeah, those, those guys talking about, and you know. We're, where are the likes now? 
you know, we don't we don't get those. I mean, they could all sing and play. They could all play and they could all sing. They were, you know, all credit to all the programmers and samplers and stuff like that. But these were players. These are the Atago and Do You Graft and, and and stuff like that. And and they and and they were they they were visible. It wasn't like they were in ivory towers. They were visible. You go down to the local clubs and they were all right, right, all right. Chris, Eddie, you know, they went. And, Chris and Eddie, I think, went or was it Eddie went and he bred Afghan hounds and things like that. So it kind of all went. So they changed their lives and they changed they you know they changed the lives of a lot of people. And again, it was another reason to feel good about being Liverpool. That <laughs> without being down, that wasn't the Beatles. Yeah. Um, and 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 the, the the soul music scene up here and the R and B music scene has always been really small because it's a port. And that's as famously been, you know, loads of people said, you know, the you know the, the Beatles got all of their kind of groove and their backbeat from all of that. But it kind of carried on. You know, there was some great growing up here. It's slightly different from other towns, by my experience. When when if you if you were in a band or you wanted to be an actor or stuff like that, it wasn't frowned upon. It wasn't like puffs game. Like, what do you think you are? It wasn't. It, there was nothing like that. It, somehow, whether it's the Irish influx for some reason. I could be in a, on, on, a, on a Saturday morning, I'd be in a football dressing room with all the lads, you know what I mean, sort of like that. And then sort of to, down into a theatre dressing room and then after that into a rehearsal room, you know, sort of playing in bands and stuff like that. And it was not, who do you think you are? It was all right, Joe, you know, it was just normal. Yeah. And like I said, everybody I knew played. And there was something about that freedom to do it, the, you know, not, not being taken, have the mickey taken out of you. Yeah. Which gives you, I suppose, something that you might call back. You might call confidence. Yeah. You know, just, just the ability. You know where you are with it. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for them. They were great days growing up. Just, just after this, famously, you know, just, you know, just after this, this record hit, and, and around that time, you know, sort of the, the album became pretty much the soundtrack to the Toxic Wires. Yeah. And, and every, everything kind of went on there. Everything that was good and bad about it, you know. Uh, we're centred around Granby Street and these records and the, and the people who are making these records. So besides being a great pop song, there's an enormous level of, I suppose, what would you call it these days, authenticity. Yeah. The real thing, if yeah. you like, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I still love it for that. Well, I should say for, uh, for people that want to watch that, it is on the BBC iPlayer. You can go yeah. on there and, uh, and watch the documentary about the real thing and, uh, and yeah. Uh, highly recommend that final track Joe and you can play DJ now and uh, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear it's called Rise and Fall it's a lovely song written and it's got a sad story attached to it Uh, I Al the singer and a young man who you might remember about eight years ago coming back from Bestival there was a tragic coach crash and uh, the driver and two people died. Well, one of the people that died was Michael. Michael, he was 18 at the time. The reason the coach crashed uh, was one of the tyres, the tyre that blew, was actually older than he was. It was 20 years old and perfectly legal at the time. Um, and that tragedy, he was an amazing musician who touched a lot of people. Uh, the Liverpool scene, the music scene here, they still talk about him. He, he really, he had something different. He was a grafter. He was a great, great player. He had that thing, you know, you just knew. 
on the record, he, which which a song he wrote, um, but also if, if, if people do play it, play it through to the end, there is a blistering guitar solo, and you can hear. Uh, in fact, when not long after the tragedy, uh, it's, it's my partner's son, my partner Francis. It's it's it's, it's his son. Now, I never met Michael, but I feel that I I, I know him, in touch with him. I've seen all the people, all his friends who gather together all the time. I still keep his memory alive, and, and, and by doing this track, by playing this track, I'm doing a similar thing. But you know, there, there are certain people uh, that just touch so many other people, and, and they can see it. And he had—he was very tall, had a smile, and a player. But when the record was released, Brian May, um, who said he didn't normally do those things, he went—he went online and, and just waxed lyrical about like this this guitar solo and and and, and things and and. His mother, because of the Francis, my partner, um, she campaigned to have the law changed. And just two months ago, the law was changed. You can't have tires like that, which is old now. So she, from a very, very tragic situation, decided, right, not having this, don't want other women to go through, other mothers to go through what I went through. Uh, and so she campaigned singly and managed to just very recently change the law. So you can't have tires that old anymore. Uh, so it, it's kind of poignant, but it's not just about like kind of playing his mummy. This is a really, really good song and, and excellent lyrics, and you just get a flavour of what might have been. I mean, I know that some people say your time is your time, and, and you know, sort of th that's all you get. For a young man, a really young man, and just a, like kind of a nascent musician, his legacy here is extraordinary. You know, he inspires still so many people. In fact, let me just I'll show you a little, a little picture. Let me do this. That's Michael. Oh, God. Great photo. That's, it is, yeah. It's a painting, not of a photo, you know what I mean? Amazing. And that's who he is, and that's the kind of spirit he was. And he's known everywhere. So I wish more people could hear this and, and think about, you know, sort of tired, T-Y-R-E-D, the you know, the campaign, which is still ongoing. They've changed the law. It's still not quite as rigid as it should be. It just seems silly, doesn't it, that, you know, out of four wheels on on one axle, you could have three tyres that were 20 years old. That's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so so it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, um, but I love the track and I love his guitar solo. Hope you do too. Joe, we put together... Um... A, uh, a Spotify playlist to accompany this podcast mm -hmm. uh, with all the songs that we've spoken about on this and, and the, the, the two tracks um, that, that are on Spotify, I'll, I'll add them both so people can go and um, get, a, get a real feel for that. Um, as we, I don't know if we're on our way out of lockdown now or if we're going back into lockdown, let's, let's stay positive. Um, if we are on our way out of lockdown, um, what what have you got coming up professionally and what are you looking forward to personally professionally um I've, I've just hearing about another couple of jobs i end one contract uh, fairly soon um which is i'm, I'm doing hollyoaks at the minute i've got another tv just in the pipeline i can't say anything about it mm -hmm. so it's one of those situations uh, i've just had a, a a notification from the royal court which is a theater i adore i love theater too uh, about a possible uh, well a workshop here and then a possible job with that next year so I'm one of the lucky ones as far as that's concerned. The phone rings for me. Been, <laughs> it's kind of last man standing, do you know what I mean? You, you, you kind of get a reward for longevity, I think. You know, so 
I was working with an actor called Bill Gaunt, uh, who, who used to be the member of that series, The Champions. Mm-hmm. He was in The Champions. And so, like, I was working with him, what, he's got to be nearly 19 now. I was working with him three, four years ago. He was 84, 85. And he says, well, he says, that's one thing about this profession. He says, as long as you're not dribbling visibly and you don't trip over the furniture, they'll, you know, they'll wheel you out. <laughs> so I, I'm looking forward to that. Personally, I, I, I'm, I, I was, I've, I'm in a new kind of newish relationship. I mean, just inside a year, I was, I was happily on my own. I thought I was never going to do that again. I've had a checkered past. I've been married three times, divorced three times. Um, I was completely happy to be on my own. And as they say, that's when the thunderbolt hits you. So I've met somebody and we're we're together. She has still two grown-up boys, aside from Rosie and Michael, who are are great. I've got my daughter. Um, I've got my mum here with me at the moment. But I'm looking forward to the moment very, very soon where we'll be out of lockdown, where mum will be sorted, and Fran and I will just be free to to investigate what it really is, to be kind of... I mean, she's, she's younger than I am, but like I touched on before, you know, these are interesting times to be my age. I'm blessed. I'm fit. You know, all all of those things. I've still got things that I can do and and ideas. And it seems to me like the rule book's been thrown away, been ripped up and thrown away. It feels every bit as pregnant with possibility. The next bit as it did in my twenties and thirties. I really do feel, I feel like I'm, my toes are under a creative kind of wave that's starting, not just me, but other people too. So I'm very much looking forward to the next bit. Wonderful. Jack, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, really, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, lad. There you go. Joe McGann, what an absolute gent. That was such a great chat. Um, yeah, what a wealth of, of, of musical knowledge there. And, uh, oh, it's, it's great when people come armed with loads of great songs and uh, and lots of honourable mentions. And, yeah, great backstory of, of, you know, working in the marquee and, yeah, and just, you know, clubbing with, you know, with, with, with the Nelly Hooper and that whole kind of Soul to Soul scene and the Bristol scene of, like, the Wild Bunch, you know, just fantastic. Like, um, absolutely um Really, really, absolutely thrilled to have had that chat, and, and I hope you got um, as much enjoyment listening as uh, as I did uh, listening and chatting. Um, I'm back next time. In the meantime, like I say, you can support the podcast and get access to you know four weekly radio shows and all sorts of other exclusives on on my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. Um, and yeah, you can also get oh, you, you can find out about everything at podcast. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And... What I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, They only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation.
I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a pocket.